to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. If you grew up in church, it's probably a familiar verse, but I want to read it, verses 1 through 8. And I want to preach what they just sang, how we need to get a fresh vision of Jesus and look at him. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Look at him, see. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. Look at him. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Can you just say amen to the reading of the word? I feel the anointing on the word of God this morning. Amen. You can be seated. I know you've been standing a while. Thank you, Pastor Billy. What an awesome job this morning. I want to ask you a question. They're singing, look at him, look at him. I just read this story of Isaiah. Let me just ask you a question. Use your imagination for a minute. What, what would you do if you had a vision of God? What if you had an Isaiah moment where you get caught up in the spirit And you have this vision of the Lord like Isaiah did. What would you do? What would you say? Just think a minute. What would you say? How would you react? What thoughts would run through your mind in that moment? And then, this is a good question. What what would be the consequences of such a glorious vision occurring to you? What would be the result? In other words, if you had a vision like Isaiah did... How would it change you? Well, I, I want to stop right here. And, and I'm, can I just preach today? I just want to preach. I don't want to be, I just want to preach today. I'm just going to get this out, and I don't care how it comes out. I just, I got to give you what God's given me today. But, but I read this, and, and I don't have this thought of, well, man, I'd like to have a vision of God like that. I don't have that at all. Because I live in the New Testament. I live in the New Covenant. I've got the Bible. I've got the revelation of God. Isaiah was helping to write the Bible as a prophet. But I've got the Bible. I can read from Genesis to Revelations. I can read and know about God. I can look at Jesus and and I can see him. I can look at him like we just sang. And I can get a vision of the Lord. And and, and maybe we need a, a supernatural vision. But I don't know that that's necessary. I just think we need to get our minds and our eyes off of this world and Fox News and CNN and Washington, D.C. and everything else that's going on and political parties. And we just need to get our eyes back on Jesus and we would see some things that would have consequences in our life that would be positive and good for us and even this nation. We need a fresh vision of God. 
We need to get our, that's why fasting was good. Man, I feel an anointing to preach this morning. That's why it was good we fasted this week because it got our eyes off of everything else and it got our attention on the Lord. And if you didn't fast, that's okay, but you missed out. You see, you mean giving up a meal can have that kind of effect on you? Yes, it does because you tell your body, you get in your place and your place is second place. My spirit man or woman is in first place and I'm going to focus on Jesus. For those of us who focus on Jesus, this has been good for us to get our eyes on the Lord because there are a lot of things out there that are trying to grab our attention. It was no different in Isaiah's time. I don't, I'm not going to take the time to tell you all the, historic, all the historical and contextual background that has to do with this, but Isaiah was the statesman prophet. He had the access to the throne. He knew the king. That's why when he said that King Uzziah died, he pointed that out because he was friends with Uzziah, and it bothered him that that good king had died. And so Isaiah was used to politics and, and used to being part of that circle, being inside the beltway, if you will, in Washington. It's the same thing. Isaiah rubbed shoulders with power people. He was connected. He was the mega church pastor that had certain people in his contact list on his phone. But I'm here to tell you, none of that had an impact on him like this moment did when he got a fresh vision of God. That's what matters the most. When you get a fresh vision of God. As a matter of fact, when he got that fresh vision of God, all the rest of that stuff didn't matter. When he got a fresh vision of God, all those, all, all the other things that was happening in the kingdom, it just all kind of fell into place. He knew that God had this. That's why we need a fresh vision of God today. We need it for us. We need it for our church. And I just want to talk about this vision that Isaiah had. I've preached on Isaiah 6 before through the years. I've been doing this for 32 plus years or longer. And so I've been, I've been doing it longer than that, really. But I just sat down and I said, God, I'm going to open up to Isaiah 6. The Lord started dealing with me. I said, Lord, I'm not going to a commentary or anything. I just want you to just show me, just speak. And the Lord has given me some powerful revelation today. And i got to try to get all this in. He, Isaiah has this vision of God. And when he does, he sees three specific traits of God. Three, three things of God that are extremely important. Can I show them to you? Number one, he saw the sovereignty. He saw him as the sovereign God. He said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Kings sit on a throne. And so he saw God as the king, sovereign God, ruling and reigning, in charge and in control. And how many of you know today God is the king and he is in charge and he is in control? How many are glad about it today? Hallelujah. And then he got an image of him as the exalted God. He said not only was he sitting on a throne, but he was high and lifted up. And, you know, I, I preached on this not too long ago, but just to say it again, what does it mean when we sing, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, when we talk about God is high and lifted up and exalted? What does that mean? What it means is that God is superior and transcendent and above everything and everyone on this earth. Then in comparison to him, you are nothing, and, y'all, he is everything. That he is superior to everyone and everything. So he gets this image of God as the sovereign God, as the superior, exalted God, but then he gets this image of him as the glorious God. He said, in the train of his robe filled the temple. And this is interesting because he has this vision of the throne room of God and God on a throne, but then he looks down under the throne, get this, and there's the temple. Under the throne where God rules and reigns is the house of God where the people of God meet. And he says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now look, God doesn't wear clothes. He's a spirit. So it's a vision. So God is using things that will help Isaiah to see and connect the dots and understand. And so the train, God shows himself having a robe, and that robe is glorious and long coming off the throne and filling the entire temple of God. And scholars, myself included, are convinced, I am 100%, that what he was seeing was the glory of God. Because it says that the smoke filled the temple. 
it, which is the glory of God, this glory of the Lord, the magnificence, the splendor, the awesomeness of God that is overwhelming, that will move you to worship, that will make you fall on your face. That glory filled the temple of the Lord. And I just think that's the coolest thing because later we're going to run into these characters called seraphim and they're crying out in worship and they say, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it's true. We talk about general revelation. You can watch a beautiful sunrise or sunset or stand on the beach and look at the ocean or, or, or be up and see the wonderful cascading mountains or, or just watch the birth of your child, any number of things, and you'll see the hand of God. You'll say there must be a God. You look at the complexity of nature and of all the creation, and you say there has to be a creator. There has to be the, the, the God that somebody's got to put all this in motion. It, it shows us that there's a God. All of creation shows us, and that's one kind of glory, but listen. There is another kind of glory, and it's a greater glory. It's a specific glory. It's a manifested glory, and it's a glory of God that fills the temple. It's the glory of God where you see something, you feel something, you sense something. In this case, it was a smoke that filled the temple. And I know we don't really have that kind of manifestation of God, but I'm telling you what, I've been in plenty of services right here at High Praises where I couldn't see anything, but I tell you what, I felt the glory and the presence and the power. Matter of fact, I'm feeling him right now in this church. You can feel the presence and the glory and the power of God and you just sense he's here and he's awesome and he's full of splendor and might and magnificence and I just can't stand there with my hands in my pocket but I have to worship him and I have to praise him and I have to live him up. And I'm telling you what, we need the glory in the church. We need to go. I long for the glory and high praises. I don't know if anybody else feels that way this morning. I see some of you clapping, but I want the glory of the Lord in this church. I long for it. I don't want people coming in here wanting to see me. I know I'm the lead pastor and I know I'm in charge, but I don't want to be the one glorified. I don't want any deacons or elders glorified. I don't want anybody else in this pastoral staff glorified. I don't even want high praises to be glorified. I want Jesus to be glorified. I want people to come in here and look past you and look past me and look past this praise team and all of the things that we have and the screens and the cameras and the sound system and the lights. I want them to look past all of that and say of a surety, God is in this place. My God, I'm preaching right this morning from my heart. You're yelling, Pastor, because I'm Pentecostal. Leave me alone because I'm on fire and I'm passionate. I want the glory. The worst service to be, I don't know if I'm going to get this done. I don't know if I'm, I may have to come back next Sunday. The worst service to be in is where there's no glory. The worst church to go to is where there's no glory. I heard my dad preach for years about churches he'd go into and the glory of the Lord had left that church and there's a Bible name called Ichabod. You remember Ichabod Crane? Huh? You've heard that? The story, the story of the headless horseman and all that? Ichabod Crane. Ichabod is a Bible word. It, it's Hebrew. It means no glory. Kabod is the word Hebrew word for glory. Ichabod means no glory. My dad said some churches he's been to, they need to go get a sign and put it on top of the church that says Ichabod because God ain't in that place. I don't want to be in that kind of church. I don't want high praises to ever be that kind of church. I want every time we come in here that we feel and sense and know the glory and the splendor of God because it's the glory of God that will convict the sinner. It's the glory of God that will deal with the backslider. It's the glory of God that will bring healing to your body and a miracle to your marriage and bring your lost children home to Jesus. We need the presence and the power and the glory of God in our church. Hallelujah. I'm just going to preach. We don't need it just in this church. Every church needs the glory of God. We need the glory of God. If we're going to see a revival in this nation, we better get the glory back in the church. This world, this nation needs a revival. I stay out of politics. I don't bring politics to the pulpit, and I'm not starting this morning, but you're not ignorant, and neither am I. We see what's going on in this land and this nation, and we're in trouble, brothers and sisters, but it doesn't matter what happens. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but you just keep holding on to the nail-scarred hands of Jesus because we're part of an unshakable kingdom that will never pass away. We just need the glory of God to shine, and that can take care of everything. This land needs the glory. Our churches need the glory. The problem with so many of our churches is that we're trying to operate by the arm of our flesh. 
And we're glorifying mega pastors and sometimes pastors of small churches. And we put pastors up on so high pedestals and then we fall, it destroys our faith. We need to cut that out and we just need to get our eyes back on Jesus. Lord, help me today. He saw a sovereign God, an exalted God, a glorious God. Well, who did he see? This is one of those times where I can move past the generic God answer and I can get a little more specific because he said he saw the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. But, but we know more, and I want to show you this, that he, he saw, he encountered the pre-incarnate Jesus. And I'm not making that up. It's in John chapter 12, verse 41. So, so he sees Jesus sovereign, Jesus exalted, Jesus glorious. In John 12, 41, John quotes the prophet Isaiah from chapter 6. Okay, you with me? And then makes this statement. These things Isaiah said. Remember, the gospel is he's writing about Jesus. These things Isaiah said when he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. You know, we often perceive Jesus as the person that we read of in the Gospels, the God-man in human form, meek and lowly, the carpenter from Nazareth, born in a manger, despised and rejected by men. And that's true. As a human, all of those things characterize him. But you need to hear me today. Jesus didn't begin when Mary gave birth to him in the manger. He is the word that was God and was with God in the beginning. The same was with God and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything that was made. He is God. And so Jesus pre-incarnation existed sitting in heaven, sitting in throne and, 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 and we need to get a vision of Jesus again as the glorious son of God, creator of all and king of all because he was God back then and he went back to heaven after he died and he's still God today and he's still king of kings today and he's still the Lord of lords today. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody just give that Jesus praise this morning. In this service, right in the middle of the service, let's have a praise time for Jesus. Hallelujah. So now you get it. It's not just the Old Testament God. It's Jesus. Maybe that helps you today to connect. Glorious Jesus, exalted Jesus, sovereign Jesus in charge and in control. And then while he's having this vision, Isaiah says that above the throne of God, the throne of Jesus that there are these angelic beings called seraphim. In the Hebrew, I am is equivalent to S in the English language, which makes things plural or ES. And so if you have one of these creatures, it's a seraph. If you have more than one of these creatures, you have seraphim. And so we don't know how many there were. There were at least two because he talks about seraphim. And they are burning, fiery, angelic beings. This is so terrible, but I try to build bridges, and if it fails, it flops. You ever watch a Fantastic Four? Right? And then there's the guy that can turn into fire. What's his name? I can't remember what his name is. He'll say, flame on. He just starts burning. Man, that would flip out some people, wouldn't it? Flame on. He just... And I just thought about that, and I thought that may be a terrible analogy, but if anybody knows comic books, they'll know that it's just poof, and they're just these burning, fiery angelic creatures but but now watch this more than the flame and fire there's a part of them that that is really significant he, Isaiah said they had wings my mother-in-law has in her guest bathroom pictures she's got these fat little cherub pictures you know fat little baby angels I don't think there are any little fat little baby angels I just don't so I'm entertained by the fat little chubby Cherub baby angels. And they got these little wings. And I'm thinking, you need some bigger wings than that, baby, because you're a big, fat, chubby baby angel. <laughs> you're like a chicken. You're not going anywhere those wings. That's why I know it's not real. And so, but, but these angels have real wings. They have, like, awesome wings. And Isaiah said, 
with two wings they covered their face. And with two wings they covered their feet. And then they had two wings to fly with. Let me tell you about the wings. Because the wings are important. The face wings, why were they there? To show respect and reverence in the presence of God. See, when you get a vision of Jesus, it will blow you away. And you'll see him and how awesome he is. And you just want to cover your face. Everybody that got a vision of God covered their face. Old rough Elijah is in a cave. He didn't even see him. He heard him. The wind and the fire and the earthquake, all that went by, it didn't phase him. And then he heard the still, small voice of God speaking to him. And the Bible says Isaiah took his mantle and he covered his face. Reverence. Respect for God. And then the two in the feet, humility. Your feet represent your standing. Your standing. Where do I stand? You ever find out in different circumstances you're in, you always know where you stand? If you're the boss, you stand above everyone with authority. If you're not the boss, you know that you stand under authority. Everybody with me? So your feet represent your standing. Look, the angels were just created beings. Yeah, they were in the throne room of God. They were in the presence of the Lord. But they were just created beings. And so they covered their feet in humility before God. Then the flight angels. That meant that God gave them wings that whenever he told them to do something, they could immediately comply, immediately, instantly obey him. Now, wait a minute. Let me show you this. Because anytime you obey God, when God tells you to do something and you do it, listen to me, you do it for the glory of God. That's why the Bible says if you fast and you do it to be seen by men, then that's all the glory you get. And you've wasted your time. You should just go get a cheeseburger. But when you fast in secret, then your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, what you do for God should always bring glory to God. And so they had wings for reverence, respect, humility, and instant obedience to bring glory to God. Now, why is this so important? Okay, let me just show you this. If you'll notice, these wings correlate with what Isaiah saw. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, the sovereign Jesus in charge and in control, the king. And so what did the seraphim do in the presence of the king? They showed him respect and reverence. He was high and lifted up, transcendent and superior to anything and anyone. And even though those angels were in the presence of the Lord, they covered their feet and said, we know where we stand. What honor to be in his presence. How awesome it is to stand in the presence of the king. And yet we know that you're the creator and we're just the creation. You're God. We're just angelic beings. And we humble ourselves before you. And then the glorious Lord. The wings said, Lord, whatever you tell us to do, we'll go do it immediately. And do it not so people, watch this, not so people can look at us, but that they can look at you so you can get the glory. Get ready. What I just taught you should be something that I can use this morning to challenge you to learn from this story. We can learn how to approach Jesus. Yes, Jesus is your Savior. Yes, you're intimate with him. 
Yes, you call him Papa God, Abba Father. Yes, he lives inside of you. When you get up in the morning, he's there, and, and you have a cup of coffee with him, and you have your quiet time, and you read the Bible, and you have sweet fellowship with the Lord. He walks with you. It just seems so personal, and that's true. Thank God it is. He does live inside of me. He does walk with me. He said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, Jesus said. I am a friend of God. I am a child of God. I, I treat him like my father, and I love him, and I crawl up in his lap and I just spend time with him and I feel and I feel like I can tell God anything and I just share my most intimate things with him and what I'm sometimes I tell him the most mundane things just because I like to talk to him but listen to me he's still your king and you ought to show him respect and reverence don't ever get too flippant with Jesus and he's still high and lifted up don't ever forget your place. Yeah, you're close to him, but he's still the exalted Lord. And so, listen, I just want to say it this way. I wrote it this way so you can get this. You should always take a low view of yourself and a high view of him. Always take a look. You just, you just get in his presence and say, God... I love you, Lord. I know we're close, and I love you so much, Papa God, but I just want to remind you again, just tell you again, I am nothing, and you are everything. And I am so limited, but you're unlimited. And I'm a mere mortal, but you're immortal. And I'm powerless, but you're almighty, and you're all-powerful. And I, I just praise you and worship you and tell you today and love you because you are so much more than I could ever be and I'll ever want to be. You are God. You always have the right view of yourself when you come in form. And then, and then you say, God, I love you, and I, I'm so glad you live in my heart. But that, what do you do when he says, okay, but I want you to do this? What happens when you come to the moral fork, fork in the road and you got to take the right path, but the devil and the world and people around you are pressuring you to take the left fork and do the wrong thing, but the spirit inside of you says, that's not the way to go. This is the path. Walk in it. What do you do? Because you got to do the right thing and immediately fly like you have wings down the right path and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I may get some stress and people may persecute me and make fun of me and laugh at me. And it might even cost me my job or a relationship. But it doesn't matter just as long as when people look at me, they look past me and he gets the glory. Don't you want everything you do in life to reflect back on him? You know, there's so many people that are just consumed with getting the attention. And, and the people, and I'll try to preach generically, who get on Facebook and post picture after picture after picture after picture of themselves, and they're all the time flaunting and promoting themselves and sometimes their body and, and how they've lost weight and build up muscles and, and whatever and they're all the time. Listen to me, you, you might want to get back in the, in the throne room and get a fresh vision of God because if you're consumed with everybody looking at you and who you are, you've missed it. John the Baptist said he must increase and I must decrease and I'm supposed to be like a prism that when the light shines into me, then the, then the light goes in reflects into all these different beautiful colors and that's all I am I'm just a prison and I want the light of the glory of the Lord to shine in me and then all the beautiful virtues and characteristics and glory of God just shine in me so they don't see me anymore they see Jesus what happens when he tells you to go witness to somebody Oh, I don't know if I can do that. You got to go do it and be obedient. What if he tells you to write that check and give that, give that money to somebody in need? What if he says, pay your tithes this week? But, Lord, it's pretty tight. Give the tithe anyway. Be obedient. You see, whatever it is, will you fly and do what God? He said, but what happens? If you'll do it, God will bless and work in your life, and then people will see God, not you. I, I, I was... I was telling somebody the other day, uh, matter of fact, I remember what it was. We did our Let's Talk About God podcast, Evan and I. And we got to talk about types in the Bible. And we got to the end, and he, and he, and he said, Dad, you got any type, you know, anything we didn't talk about? We had a few examples, and I had a couple, and I said, I'll tell you, there's one in the Bible. It's the donkey. And if you read in the Old Testament, the donkey 
is a type or a symbol or a representation of the sinner. And so the Bible says in the Old Testament that the firstborn of a lamb, of a bull, of a goat, all these clean animals, you were to, re- you were to sacrifice it. It was to be offered to God as a sacrifice. But the firstborn of a donkey, you didn't sacrifice it on an altar. It was an unclean animal. You either broke its neck and kill it or you had to pay money and redeem it. And you know what that means? Why is it a type of the sinner? Because we're unclean. When you're a sinner, you're unclean. And, and you're not worthy to offer your life and give your life to Jesus because you're unclean. And so only one of two things can happen. You either have to be redeemed by Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell in your sins. And so that's what has And so what should happen is that you, re, you ought to get redeemed. And, and if you just carried over into the New Testament when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem... Right? Any of you know that story? And, and they laid down the, the clothes and waved the palm branches and said, Hosanna to the Son of David. When, when he went in, he told the disciples, he said, go to a certain town and there's going to be a donkey there. And I want you to bring that donkey to me. I have need of it. And, it. and if anybody says to you, what are you doing taking that donkey? Tell them the Lord has need of it. And so the disciples, two of them go, and they find the donkey, exactly where Jesus said, and they untie it. These two guys are there, three guys, hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing taking that donkey? And they just said, the Lord has need of it. And they said, oh, okay. That evidently, the Lord had already prearranged it. They said, you're good, take it. And they took the donkey, and they put Jesus on the donkey, and he entered into Jerusalem. And by the way, the story there is everybody else wants to throw away the sinner. Everybody else wants to give up on the sinner, especially if you're a really bad sinner. Nobody, nobody believes in you anymore. You're not, you're not redeemable. Nobody, nobody can love you. you they, people are tired of you. Sometimes they just wish you were going to die and get out of the way. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, I have need of you. Jesus can look at the person that's unlovable and everybody else has given up on and said, I still need you. I need you. Nobody else can see it, but I can see it. If I could just touch you and change you, I'll do things through you that nobody can could ever imagine and they put Jesus on him and Jesus is riding none of this is in my notes I'm just preaching this morning okay and then then Jesus is riding the donkey into Jerusalem and everybody's crying out and you know what did not happen nobody said oh look at that cute little donkey that little donkey's so cute somebody get some carrots let's get the donkey a carrot what a sweet donkey I'm just gonna walk along following the donkey that donkey's look at that little, little bitty, tiny donkey he looks like a donkey off a Shrek. Look at him. He's just a cute little donkey. Is that what happened? Anybody know the Bible story? For those that don't, no, that did not happen. You know what everybody did? They said, look at Jesus. Look, nobody even noticed the donkey. Look at Jesus. There he is. Hosanna. He's the king. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're worshiping and looking at you. Listen to me. That's what I'm trying to preach is when you do what God calls you to do, nobody ought to be looking at you. Everybody ought to be looking at Jesus. And when he saves you, that's what happens. Oh, boy. So Isaiah received even more revelation of God. Y'all all right? Y'all just listening, right? Those of you watching at home, it's just gotten really quiet there. These seraphim crying out in worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So not only does he see him as the sovereign God and the exalted God and as the glorious God, but now he sees him as a holy God. And they're saying it three times. And in the Bible, three is the number of completion, of perfection, of wholeness. So I like to say that God is W-H-O-L-L-Y. He is holy, holy, H-O-L-Y. He is completely holy. Now, what does that mean? I'll give you the, very, the Cliff Notes version, the short version. There's a whole theology with this short version. Number one, it means that there's nobody like him. He is unique. He is different. He is separate from all in creation. He is creation. He is other than what you and I are. I don't even know if you realize that you sang that song and, and it, there was a point in one of the, the screens where it said, there's none like him. Something like that about 
there's none like you or none like him. And, and, and I watched them and I thought, that, man, they're preaching. They're singing my sermon this morning. There's nobody like him. The second part of holiness is that he is sinless and pure and good and righteous where there's none good but one. And the angels, the angelic beings are using holiness in worship. Now, I'm going to close with this. So I think I'm going to get through this message. Two things I observed. The holiness of God was central to their worship. Get this. The holiness of God. Look, of all the attributes of God they could have emphasized, they chose holiness. Right? God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal, unchanging, sovereign. We just saw that. Exalted, glorious, all-wise, self-existent. You notice they didn't use any of those. Why? Because in a sense, the holiness of God encompasses all of the other attributes. I know you're thinking today. So let me just ask you, who else is all-powerful? What's the answer? No one. Who else is present everywhere at the same time? No one. The devil's not, by the way. He's little, he's, he can only be in one place at one time. Only God. Who, who, who else knows everything perfectly past, present, and future? Who? Go ahead and say it. No one. Who, who else from everlasting to everlasting lives without beginning or end? No one. So when you say holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies of heaven, you're just saying all of them. You're just saying there's nobody. Who else is sinless and perfect and pure and good? No one. And let me tell you why I'm telling you this. Because what this passage tells me is that God's holiness should be central to your worship too. The Bible says that we are called to worship Jesus in the beauty of holiness. So let me just help you today. When we're in here and we're singing the songs or I'm preaching or you're in the altar or in your personal time, in your, in your prayer closet, riding down the road praying, just let me help you here. You should get a fresh vision of Jesus. Look at Jesus and here's what you should say, oh God, you alone are all powerful. You alone are all knowing. You alone are ever, ever present. You alone are unchanging. You alone are eternal. You alone are self existing. You alone are infinite. You alone are all wise. You alone are good. You alone are righteous. You alone are sovereign. And when you're riding down the road, you ought to say, God, you alone can forgive my sins. You alone can save the lost. You alone can bring my lost son or daughter back home. You alone can reconcile a sinner to yourself. You alone can redeem those who are in the slave market of sin. You ought to say, God, you alone can open the doors that no one can shut, and you're the only one that can shut the doors that nobody can open. You alone can part the waters of the Red Sea. You alone can make the sun stand still. You alone can shut the mouths of the lions. You alone can bring down the walls of Jericho. You alone can take the, the sting out of the flame, out of the, the bird out of the flame for Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo. You alone can multiply the loaves and the fishes. You alone can open the deaf ears and cause the mute to speak. You alone can cause the lame to walk and you alone can make the lepers cleanse. You alone can raise the dead. You alone are God. You're the only one that can give me a miracle. You're the only one that can come through for me because you are God and with God nothing shall be impossible. Come on somebody praise God alone this morning. You alone. You alone. Come on somebody say it. You alone. Holiness ought to be central to your worship every time you worship. You don't have to say all of them like I did, but you ought to at least pick out some things and say you alone are this and you alone are that and you alone are the only one, God, and I give you praise. You can learn how to worship right here. Here's the last thing. This tells me that God's holiness 
can and should move you to repentance and even holy living. When Isaiah got that vision of the Lord, and I'm talking this morning about we need to see Jesus. And here we are taking communion this morning. We're looking at Jesus as the crucified Christ. We sang these songs. Man, we were looking at the crucified Christ. Jamie's over here preaching, remember it. Jennifer's up here singing, look at him, look at him. You better get ready. Because when you look at him, you may not like what you see in you. You'll always like what you see in him, but you may not like what you see in you. Isaiah saw himself for what he really was when he saw Jesus for what he really was. And he saw what he really was, Isaiah did, an unclean man. He realized he was under the judgment of God. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. Can I just preach that in the vernacular? Can I preach that Chris Star style? Here's what he was saying. He was here today. Oh, boy, I am in big trouble. I'm going to die. God is about to strike me dead. I am right this moment. I am about to leave this world. It is over. I am in trouble. I'm going to die. That's what happens when you're under the judgment of God. God is scary and terrifying, and the future is bleak. I love it, because the next thing that happens is he started confessing. When you get a vision of Jesus, yeah, you might see how bad you are, and it'll scare you. But let me tell you what you should do. Just start confessing. Don't hide your sin. Don't make excuses. Don't justify it. God already knows what's going on. You think you've hidden anything from him? No. So just start praying and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And he confessed. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I love this. He got so convicted, he started confessing for everybody else. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He doesn't speak. He's got, he doesn't speak clean. She doesn't speak clean. Lord, I don't speak clean over there. The whole choir section, the whole praise team section, every deacon, none of them speak clean. I mean, he was just calling out everybody. He's confessing his sin. That's always the best thing to do when you get with God. Because next to a God, holy God, you're going to be an unholy mess. So just confess it and agree with what God already knows. But here's the third thing. The God who terrified him and the God he was confessing his sins to as the righteous judge didn't kill him, and he didn't get in big trouble. Instead, the God who terrified him provided atonement for him. Now, I'm finishing. Just stay with me. I've preached too long to not to land this plane. Remember, the vision is not just the throne room, but the house of God. And in the temple, there was an altar. And on that altar was a burning sacrifice of a sacrificial lamb for sin. We don't talk about that in this story, but it's there. You can't leave that out. It's the most important part. And there's an altar, and it's blazing fire, and the sacrifice is being consumed by the flames, and there are hot coals. It's the altar, a sin sacrifice for, for Isaiah's, uncle. I don't know, maybe gossiped, Maybe he, had a, maybe he had a dirty mouth. Maybe he told dirty jokes. Maybe he used profanity. Uh, maybe he was harsh to his wife. I don't know. He's harsh on his kids. I don't know. But he had unclean lips. It was, it was immoral. And yet there was a sacrifice that God had made for his sin. And the seraphim, one of the seraphim, the, the seraph comes over and he takes tongs. And he gets a hot coal from off the altar, and he takes it over to Isaiah. Now, remember, it's not a vision, so he's not going to really get burned. But he takes the hot coal, and he presses it against Isaiah's lips in the vision. And he says, now your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Don't miss this. It wasn't the coal that made him clean, it was the sacrifice on the altar that made him clean. The coals was just the application to Isaiah's sin from what was happening on the altar. And when God touched him, his sin was gone. Now you got to be seeing this. If you're not, let me help you. It is clearly a picture there of Jesus, not just as a glorious Jesus, exalted Jesus, sovereign Jesus, holy Jesus, but now we see him as the Lamb of God, Jesus, who 
was slain for the sins of the world, burning on an altar, and who dies in our place and to provide atonement and forgiveness and cleansing. And when we just have faith in what Jesus did, it is like taking something from that altar and applying it directly to the area of our life and our sins are purged and washed away. That's why communion was so powerful because the altar, the cross was the altar. Yeah, there was an altar in the temple 2,000 years ago, but that's not where our forgiveness came from. It came from Calvary on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And how I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Do you get it, y'all? That was the altar. And when Jesus died on that altar, there is a hot coal, there is an application for you your sin and it doesn't matter what you've done and how bad you've been he can wash and purge every sin away I wish somebody would just praise him this morning hallelujah 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 come on stand with me this morning I don't know who's watching. Maybe this applies. Maybe there's somebody here that you're not right with the Lord, but listen to me today. Taking an Old Testament servant, uh, Old Testament story, and using New Testament communion, you have gotten a picture today of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And, and Isaiah, let me just finish with this because I feel this, I put it in my notes. Not only is Isaiah's sins purged, but listen to me. His sin was purged and it, your, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. I want to give you the exact quote. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. It's covered. It's atoned for. Here's what I saw, that somebody needs this. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're trying to be a Christian. And there's one area of your life that you keep messing up. You keep sinning. You ask God to forgive you and you do good for a while and then you go right back into it again. Maybe the problem is you're wanting forgiveness but you don't want to be purged. There's a difference. If I berate my wife and treat her like a doormat and then I'm feel sorry and I say honey please forgive me and she does but then I go back and do it again I, I have forgiveness from her but I, I haven't been purged I'm here to tell you today there is an application of the power of the cross that it doesn't just reform you it changes you that what happened at Calvary gives us victory but you have to yield and you have to say, Jesus, here is my life. And if you have a stronghold in your life, you have to say, Jesus, tear down that stronghold and change me. And I'm here to tell you today, you can live holy and you can live right and you can serve God and you can have the victory because the power of the blood of Jesus will not only bring forgiveness, but it will set you free from the power of any and every sin. Once the sin was dealt with, everything changed. And now Isaiah had nothing standing between him and the Lord. And the Lord said, now, I've got a mission. I've got a job to do. Who? Who do we have? Start looking around heaven. Who, who we got? We got anybody to qualify for this? We got uh, Father look the Son, Son look the Holy Spirit. And they said, who will go for us? We got, we got an angel that can do this or? How are we going to handle this? They're doing it on purpose. Said Isaiah. Isaiah said, Hup, hup, you don't need an angel. Here am I. Woo, woo, God, right up. Down here. Me, me, me. Here am I. Say me. Let me do it. Isaiah saw the sovereignty of the king and he was overwhelmed. He saw high and lifted up, and he saw that he was a sinner. The king who could kill him, woe was me, for I am undone. And he saw him as a as, as, as the sinless, exalted God, and he was just a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in peace of unclean lips. But the glorious Lord 
saved him. And when he saved him, he gave him wings. You know, it's a wonderful life. Every time an angel does a good deed, daddy, he gets his wings. Well, that's not true. None of that's true. It's all, none of that's true. Well, it's not true that you get wings either. But metaphorically, metaphorically, symbolically, when Isaiah got himself right with God, he got his wings. And he said, now the sin's out, the distracts from God. Now Jesus is in. My life is right. Now I want everything I say and do to bring glory to God. And God said, good, now I can use you. Some of you want to be used by God, you got to let God deal with the sin in your life. Once the sin's out, God can use you. Why? So that he gets all of the glory. Bow your heads, please, all across this church. Who would say, Pastor Chris, this message is for me. I needed to hear this today. I need a fresh vision of God. I think I've got too caught up in this world and what's going on in this world. I think I've got my eyes off of Jesus. Who would say that? Who would say, Pastor Chris, I came here today. I'm not right with the Lord. Man, I've heard the gospel, seen the gospel. You've preached the gospel. I want to get saved. I want my sin gone and purged, and I want to be right with God. Who who would say in this place, Pastor, I, I used to serve the Lord, but I'm backslidden, but I want to come home. Who in this place would say, Pastor, I've been trying to live for the Lord, but I'm that guy you talked about, that woman you talked about. I keep failing. I keep faltering, and then I get back, and then I fail again. I want, I'm tired of it. I want the victory. I want this thing dealt with. I want to be able to no longer have to deal with this sin. Who would say that in this house? any of that applies to you with your head bowed right now I'm going to start praying and as I pray I want you to pray and whatever you need to say to the Lord you pray and say God help me help me oh Lord save me oh God restore me oh Lord God give me the victory of my life God help me to get my eyes on you and off of this world come on whatever you need to do come on I need saints to help me pray Father right now in the name of Jesus You've given me this powerful message. I didn't even know if I could get it all in, Lord. You've just put so much in me, and I'm glad I preached it, Lord, and I just thank you. I feel like I've got this burden off of me, but now, God, I'm asking you in the name of your Son to touch people in this house, touch those who need a fresh vision of Jesus, who need to get their eyes off of this world and their eyes back on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray for those who are in sin that, God, you would save them right now as they cry out to you. They don't have to pray a fancy fancy prayer just need to pray and say Lord forgive me come into my heart be my Lord and Savior God restore the backsliders today help the backslider to come home touch those God that have been beaten down by a sin that they keep committing over and over God tear down that stronghold tear down every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ take every vain imagination captive today and God give them victory through the cross and through the blood of Jesus so that they can walk and live in righteousness and obedience and hope holiness. God, give us wings today so that, Lord, we'll live for you and serve you and do what you call us to do and that everything we do, God, it will bring glory to you. Help us today, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.